Before we dive into this packed return episode of the Listen In Podcast, I just wanted to remind everyone that you can give us a follow on Twitter at Listen In Pod. Chime in with the discussion there. Also, you can give us a review on iTunes. Uh, let other listeners know what you think of the podcast. Also, give us a follow on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Google Play. And uh, lastly, just tell a friend who likes music about the podcast. It really helps us grow. Word of mouth is a, uh, a big help. So do that for us, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Listening Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Listening Podcast, the only music podcast by music listeners for music listeners. You are here with Jake and Sean, your two co-hosts, and we are up to episode 91. Episode 91, we took a little uh, one-week hiatus there. I, you know, I think we needed break. it. I think we needed it. Recharge the batteries. Smell the roses a little bit. Get our takes ready for these new albums we got. So... In this episode, listeners, we have a lot to cover, actually. We're going to be talking about the new Ariel Pink album, new albums from Rostam, Phoebe Bridgers, The Killers. We have some Paul McCartney talk. We saw him live in Ma- at Madison Square Garden. Lots to talk about. we got a lot to cover in episode 91. But first of all, as you guys know, if you've been longtime listeners, episode 91, what we do is we take the episode number and we do the corresponding year... And we talk about what big albums came out in 1991. And historical moments as well. So if for albums, we had a packed year in 91, Sean. Nevermind by Nirvana came out in 91. Actung Baby by U2. Out of Time by R.E.M. Loveless, My Bloody Valentine. Wow. Blood Sugar Sex Magic by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Low End Theory by A Tribe Called Quest. Use Your Illusions 1 and 2 by Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Bad, uh, Bad Motor Finger by Soundgarden. 10 by Pearl Jam. Um, Screamadelica by Primal Scream, Spiderland by Slint. So really kind of the kickoff of grunge in Gish 91. by Smashing Pumpkins. And this is what I wanted to, to quickly say. 91 feels like the start of the 90s musically. Yeah. So it, that, 90 that, was this kind of weird year still, where... Like still the 80s, basically. And I feel like the, one of the albums that maybe felt the most transitional was like that uh, the Depeche Mode record yeah. that came out in 1990. Yep. But yeah, 91 really kicks off this. So I think that happens more often than not with decades is that first year, the zero year basically, actually doesn't really start the decade. And what made me think about this is two things. One, 9-11, 2001. Yeah. Kind of kicks off the 2000s, really. 2000s still just felt like the 90s, 2000 right? 2000 feels like yeah. the 90s. I mean, we, like, if 9 11 happened in 2000, we'd be having a different discussion, but I agree. Like, 2000, when I think about it in music or just in anything, it just feels like, yeah, an extension of the 90s. The other thing that made me think of this is I just wrapped up watching, rewatching Mad Men. And two interesting facts about, or thoughts about Mad Men. When that show starts in 1960, it just feels like the 1950s. Yeah. Everything they're doing, the culture, society, the way people are acting, dressing, talking, etc. Feels like the 1950s. When the show ends, and I didn't totally realize this when it was happening. That show ends, the last half season is 1970, almost up to 71. And it still just kind of feels like the late 60s still. Yeah. I think the 60s is almost an exception, right? Because I feel like... 
the 60s was such a radical departure from the 50s where yeah. I feel like that didn't really kick off until like 64. True. Maybe yeah. 65. Yeah. What's really yeah. funny is when people, this is really interesting, but when people talk about the 60s, they're really talking about like 64 on. Yeah. 1960, 61, 62, 63, in some ways may as well just be the 50s. The 50s. The still. 50s yeah, may yeah. as well be a Absolutely. 15 year decade. Absolutely. No, 100%. And, and it's funny because I, I also, you could even say, when people are talking about the 60s, they really mean like 67 to 69, too. Right, as you well. Yeah. So, interesting thing about decades, because I think you could say the same thing about any other one, where it's like, well, you know, maybe 1980 was really just an extension of the 70s and didn't start feeling you, like the 80s until X year. You could, And you could also just make the argument that, which I actually think is true, that assigning decades is just an arbitrary oh, measure. 100%. Because what is a more similar period of time, 65 to 75 or 60 to 70? 65 to 65 75. 75. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great point. So to to wrap up our 91 talk here in terms of big his, historical events, this is... So last, if you remember back to episode 90, we really didn't have a lot to talk about. A lot of big 90s events kind of happened in 91 Desert Storm began, and then by in January, by February, it was over. So Gulf War is done by February. The other big one, uh, Rodney King, the uh, the L.A. police severely beat Rodney King, and oh, then right. goes on to have the the riots in L.A. as well. Those are two huge nineties kind of historical markers that people always think about. It's interesting though, like that's done in the first quarter of the year, basically. Also worth mentioning, if you're insane like me, is mm-hmm. that 1991 is a palindrome. It a is palindromic year. It is. No, it is. It absolutely is. You also had uh, Pablo Escobar surrendering to police, Colombian drug lord Pablo Escobar. There you go. Other than that, you know, and I think this is going to be the theme as we go through the rest of the 90s. Not a lot happened, really. We we were born in a decade of uh, of of domestic bliss. Yeah, we were. We really. That's were. why we're so soft right now. Yeah, soft. A couple snowflakes. Yeah, a couple liberal cups. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's dive into the music talk here. We are a music podcast. Um, I mentioned at the start of the show we're going to be talking about Ariel Pink's new album. He's yeah. got a. Best new music from Pitchfork. Uh, what was it? 8.2? 8.3? I think best it new music. 8.2. 8.2. Lower end of the, the yeah, BNM so scale. Ariel Pink has been a critical darling of Pitchfork as long as I've been reading it. For um, a long time. I was actually looking earlier, though. His first couple albums were not. No? I, guess, I guess his like, very first and second, his first got like a 5 out of 10. Wow. And like that second one that I think is actually, I think it's... Uh, I don't know if it's not mature themes. There's one where like the cover is a house with words written on it. Yeah. It's like his second album. That got something in the sixes. I think he hit his stride in the like mid two thousands. Okay. That that makes which is about when, you know, I, I was reading. Sure. So this new album, dedicated to Bobby Jameson, came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, we have been listening to this a lot, especially over the past week. This has really started to resonate with us. What so I'll give you my thoughts. When this first came out. I'll say I wasn't always all, all in on Ariel Pink. I liked some songs here and there. A full album had never really resonated with me in a way where I was like, yes, I can't wait for a new Ariel Pink album. This one came out, and to be honest with you, if it didn't get a Best New Music, I was probably going to skip over it. I was going to, unless I had people being like, no, you got to listen, I was going to maybe skip over it. 
I am so happy I decided to listen, though. I've been loving this album. What were your thoughts when this first came out? Yeah, it's similar. Where I couldn't, I can't say that I was especially excited. I listened to his previous album, Pom Pom, which um, got some pretty good critical uh, reception when it came out. When was that? 2013? I think it was 14. 2014? I think it was 14. Um, I've always loved the song from that album, uh, Put Your Number in My Phone. So catchy. It's like a total pop gem. Um, has this really catchy guitar riff and like just these... There's The sound of it is so like... It's such a sweetly recorded song. Like it's produced so nicely. Um, that always stuck out, but I never felt totally... Like I listened to that record maybe once, maybe twice, yeah. and it just didn't. It's first of all, it's kind of long. I forgot it's, it is. It's like an hour six, um, and it's just it's sort of all over the fucking place, which is in keeping with what Ariel Pink is, from what I gather, all through his career. People describe him as like Gonzo, and like mm. they always they always see descriptors from music critics as I think the Pitchfork review was he he writes Gonzo pop songs, yeah, like weird, wacky, eclectic, just wild pop. Um, I think what happened with this album is the first time I listened, it's about uh, 40, it's actually 46 minutes because I recently found out that Iceman, the last song, Revenge of the Iceman, is a bonus track. Oh! But I've continued listening because I like it, but it's shorter, it's more palatable in terms of length, and um, I think it was, he's maybe dialed back some of the craziness just enough. This is, this is, the, this is the point I wanted to make about this album, and I think one of the reasons why some of the older ones didn't resonate with me. There's still the Ariel Pink weirdness on here, and Iceman's a great so. example of that. It actually is interesting that that's a bonus track, because it does seem like a bit of an outlier on that album. But it's funny you say that, because, and I, I'll let you get back to your larger point, but I've listened to it enough where I actually really fucking like that song, and yeah. I really like it as a closer. Yeah. I think it's a cool closer, and I think acting... It's not one of my favorite songs on the record, acting, right. which is the true the, closer. Right. I think Iceman is this cool, like, it's him trying a, yet another genre yeah. and, like, closing it with this kind of punch. I thought it was a nice close. I was disappointed when I found it. It's, it's not funny. part of the track My list. last few listens of this album, I've skipped Iceman. Really? Because it, I, I like the song. It feels tonally different than the rest of the album, and I'm like, I don't feel like listening to that right now. Because it's like this aggressive kind of punk song yeah it does feel out of place and it's I, it makes sense that it's a bonus track and isn't the actual closer. It and does I make have sense. actually I, skipped it. It does make sense, and I think it's interesting. We're going opposite ways we usually would here, because usually I'm like very anti-bonus track. I think the fact that I listened to it so many times with it as the yeah, last track, kinda... and it just kind of clicked, I think, third, fourth listen that I really like yeah. this song. Um, I think it's like funny, and I actually really like... That chorus and the way he sings, I smash, I smash, yeah. I smash. Like, yeah. it's, it's this crazy sound. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know personally, and I, I could, you know, I might be in the minority even, but I think it's a nice closer. I really, I don't skip it. I really like that song. Interesting. But what I was gonna say about the rest, the rest of this album is, it does feel like he dialed back or or shaved down some of the rough edges that were maybe present on some of his older albums. And I, I've talked to some other people who listen to Ariel Pink who have echoed that same sentiment and have said, you know, I think this is his most accessible album and his most palatable album for that reason, where it seems like the weirdness has been dialed back, he's sanded down those edges. It's just very listenable it, all the way through. And that's what I love about this, and that's why it's resonating with me so much. It's very listenable, and it also reminds me of... 
it like he channels these sounds of like eighties goth with like feels yeah. like heaven yeah. and sixties pop in ways that remind me of like the Kinks or the Mothers of Invention yep. with Zappa. Uh, on songs like de- the title track dedicated to Bobby, Bobby Jameson or uh, Time to Meet Your God and stuff like that. Like he has these songs that remind me of some of the weirdest fringes of psychedelia in the 60s, yet he he sort of reigns it into this very palatable, catchy sort of package. That being said, there's still some really weird moments on here, like uh, Santa's in the closet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Santa yeah. Claus is in the closet. Or, or, or like, even, honestly, one of, one of my favorites on here in, in this struck me on the first time through i was like i really like time to live i was like that's a catchy song going back and listening i'm like wait that's a weird fucking song for like half of it and And then it turns into a more accessible pop song but like things like that where it's like yeah there's some weird stuff going on but he balances it out with some easier to listen to moments it's a really cool song and it's i think the longest on the album by a decent margin it's like yeah it's almost six minutes yeah and and this is an album where for the most part the songs on here are pretty tight and like he's writing for my money some of my my favorite pop songs i've heard all year or in a while me too me too yeah and and to to your point about 60s pop i think you know, you, we we were listening to this this past weekend, and on Bobby Jameson, there's that kind of uh, like organ riff part with that the reminds solo. you of "Light My Fire" from the Doors, and I totally agree. And then "Bubblegum Dreams" is basically a Beach Boys song. It's like if the Beach Boys met "My Bloody Valentine." Yeah, because yeah. You, it, you hear like, it, like the chorus is "Bubblegum Dreams, Bubblegum Dreams." Like that's it's like yeah. this like. And I was listening to the lyrics, and they're they're just the silliest most meaningless lyrics of all time and he's doing it on purpose they're all about oh, like yeah. sunshines and rainbows and it's really cool because he writes this like Beach Boys 60's pop song over the dirtiest most distorted <laughs> yeah. chords in yes. the background yes. it's so catchy so I, I I heard I guess Ariel Pink himself the what's his name? Ariel uh, Rosenberg okay I guess he's not much of a musician he can't really like play instruments or, or, or anything and really what he'll do is he'll think of these melodies and these song ideas and he'll just kind of hum them into like a phone or, or like yeah. you know, some kind of recording device and he'll bring it to the rest of the band and be like let's make this happen oh interesting. and so yeah. like this guy from what I understand just has these melodies going on in his head that he's like I need I want to get these out how are we gonna do it and that's why we end up with you know these 60s pop and style records that's fascinating because the sound of these songs and what he's clearly trying to emulate is so well executed yeah it's fascinating that he's not part of playing does he he must play like guitar somewhere i I don't i don't know the extent of what his musicianship is but from what i understand it's not anything crazy it's not like he's the dude who's like all right we're gonna play it this way we're gonna do this it's, yeah. He's kind of relying on his backing band to provide the music behind these killer melodies he's yeah. coming up with. Well, it's definitely a melody first thing here that he's, he's yeah, coming yeah. up with, or a, sort of a vibe first thing. And like again, like with every song, like Kitchen Witch or um, what's that? Uh, the, the it's sort of later in the track. Oh, uh, another weekend. Is, oh my is god, awesome. yeah. Another yeah. weekend is a great song. It's just like melody after melody, and he does this thing where his songs they they're not by any means simple. Which is what's really no. interesting about the fact that he's just humming these melodies and then telling the band. Like, he has these compositions where they'll jump all the fuck over the place. Yeah. He'll go from that, like, another weekend sort of simple melody, and then it goes to that part where it's like, bing, 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 
bong, 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 yeah, bong, yeah. Bong. It's like this really weird sort of like sound collage thing, yep. and then it goes drops back into this yeah. really simple. I, just some acoustic strumming behind it, yeah. I gotta say, this has been not only one of the biggest, most welcome surprises for me this year musically, but it's I, I already know it's a top ten album for me of the year. Yeah, it's honestly, going to end up there. again, like I said, this this snuck up on me too. I wasn't even going to listen to it. It ended up being one that I have just wanted to go back to over yeah. and over again the past week. Me too, like constantly, and uh, it it has made me want to explore more of what he's done in his career, especially go back and listen to Pom Pom, because if Put Your Number in My Phone is even any indication of what, what 50% of the rest of the record's like, I, I would like it a lot. So, yeah, just in terms of what else he's done, so I, I, I've also listened to Mature Themes that came out in 2012. There, there are some really good songs on there. Only in my dreams is is one from that. Have you heard that song? I I'm not sure. I, the the album I did listen to, I gave it a listen this week. Is um, that one from Before Today? Before Today, yeah. Round and Round is an awesome song from that too. I feel like there's there's songs you can pick and choose throughout you know the rest of his career where you're like, that's a fucking awesome song. That's an awesome song. That's an awesome song. Um, in terms of albums as a whole. Nothing has resonated with me like Bobby Jameson has so far, though. No, me either, and that's why it was the, such a shock. And what's funny is, like, when I first put this record on, and I heard "Time to Meet Your God," um, which for any listener who hasn't listened just has this melody that's like "Time to Meet Your God." It's like this, like, sort of very ridiculous, over the top. Like, it reminds it, it reminds me very much of uh, "Freak Out" by by Frank Zappa. Like songs on that, and I was like, okay, this is a little over the top. And then it drops right into Feels Like Heaven, which is one of my favorite songs oh of the year. Oh my god, the melody on that. Yeah. It, it, it's so catchy, the production and everything. It's it's, per- it's like a perfect song. It's just this dreamy, like perfect little pop song. I was like, all right, yeah, yep. my, my interests are peaked. And like the thing is, like even on songs that are more middle of the pack for me, like the third song, I forget what it's called, Death Patrol. Yeah. Like a song like that, even that has like these cool little moments, like the guitar lick, that really fast guitar lick that goes yep. through it. And like there's these moments, these vocal moments that I latch onto and remember. I'm like, oh yep. yeah, that part's really catchy. Yep. See, that's the same. Like as the album goes on, like, you know, Bubblegum Dreams is one of my favorites, but right after that is Dream Date Narcissist. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, maybe that's not one of my favorites, but when I get to it, I'm like, fuck yeah, Dream yeah. Date Narcissist. Yeah, yeah it's it. a great song. Um, I Want to Be Young is another great gem on this album I mean honestly it's like it's just packed full if you like um, I think if you like artists who aren't so much like about a sound but are willing to write cool songs and all kinds of different aesthetics you, you would enjoy this album yep. and if you just like like catchy fucking rock songs yep. you'd like this One, aerial 100%, pick album. 100% a great find this year Jake let's move on now okay. to another album that came out a couple weeks ago this is by former Vampire Weekend member Rostam. He put out his first solo album, Half Light. Now, Rostam has had a busy couple years or about a year and a half since he left Vampire Weekend. He put out one of our favorite albums of 2016, which was the uh, the Hamilton Lighthouser album. Came out a year ago this week. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I was looking on Spotify today. He's also produced some other songs. He had some collaborations with Ra Ra Riot. Um, he's done some some more pop song production as well. He worked with Frank Ocean. Worked with Frank. Blonde. That's right. So Rostam's been busy since he left Vampire Weekend. It really seems like he's trying to make a name for himself independent of Vampire Weekend. Now, I think there's two interesting conversations here. One is what happens now with Vampire Weekend now that Rostam's off doing his own thing. Whoa. And two, what 
is Rostam's career trajectory now? What does he seem to be about? Well, in terms of the Vampire Weekend conversation, I, I'm sure you saw that Ezra is producing a Netflix anime show. I saw called, that. Like, it's like Noyoyoko or something. Yeah, I, saw I think that. it's like the Japanese word for New York. Um, I am not the biggest fan of anime and that aesthetic in general, although I, I do like those uh, Studio Ghibli movies from what I've seen in the past. But So I don't know how interested I am in checking that out. Yeah. I like Ezra Koenig enough, but it's just I don't I think I, I like it. probably will just ignore that, Yeah, I probably to be too. perfectly honest with you. As a band, who knows? Because and this has been the most the sort of resonant thing with me about this, this Rostam album, which I am liking a fair amount. Um, the way he produces music... And the sounds he pulls in, and the little sort of melodies, and the different production flares, and just sort of his frame of reference is so much of the Vampire Weekend cocktail. Oh yeah. Just it basically the, the way I've thought about this is it this album, um, Half Light, almost feels like listening to demos for what would become a Vampire okay. Weekend record. I, I'm, I'm, I'm but well produced as finished songs. I, I'm glad you touched on this. So I've been enjoying Half Light. It's been hard for me to really latch on to any one thing about it, other than saying, oh yeah, this these are good Rostam songs, and they sound like what he would offer to Vampire Weekend. To me, Half-Light almost feels like a clearinghouse of old ideas that he had on past Vampire Weekend records or other little one-off projects he had, where he's like, I'm going to get this out just so it's out. Because some of these songs, like Bike Dream or... Uh, I think uh, maybe Wood or some of these other ones, they've been floating around for a while now. Yeah. And it really seems like these are just old Rostam ideas where he's like, I'm going to put it all out there, see what sticks, and I'm going to have a solo album, but this isn't my main focus. Like, like, I am, I'm looking ahead to other things. I'm doing collaborative projects. I'm doing, I'm producing other shit. It seems like this is more of a clearinghouse of old ideas than anything where he's like, this is what I'm staking my career on right now it's like an all things must pass by george harrison where it's just like because it, it is actually kind of a long it's track long. List. It's, it's like it's it's 15 tracks it's 52 minutes it's not short by any stretch and there's some gems on here i think bike dreams a great song rudy never, is a gem for me that's a great song on, on rudy i love the way and i've never heard rostam sing this way he actually like screams at the end yeah, he's like yeah, doing yeah. this sort of scream singing that's a big highlight for me um and yeah, and that's the thing is like this album has been for for me more of an album I put on, and it just sort of goes by. Yes, and I'm yes. I'm I'm liking all of it. Right. I actually, and I'm like, oh, this is that little moment I like. It's almost like I listen to it as one long track. Right, and I sort of pick out little moments. I've tried to be better about like, oh, let's look and see what this track is, right. so I'll be able to talk about it. But more and more, I'm realizing I just sort of like the vibe of this. It yeah. feels like living in. Um, it, it, a lot of it feels like probably some of his ideas from like modern vampires of the city. Yep. Because some of the production is so similar to how he was yep. producing Vampire Weekend records. Yep. It, it, they, it feels very akin to that. Um, and But that being said, I have been enjoying it. And it's an album where almost the opposite of Ariel Pink, where with Ariel Pink, I, I can come in and be like, I like this song, I like yeah. this song a lot, I like that song a lot. I feel like it maybe is less of a songs <laughs> album. It's, it's more of a vibe album. It's more of a vibe album, yeah. and I kind of just sort of ride with it, and I, I enjoy it while it's on. Um, and th there's definitely highlights, and it's I think like anything he does is pretty interesting. Um, but I agree with you. I don't. I think that he's going to end up coming out with a solo album in a couple years that'll be probably fresher 
I agree. I agree. And I think the, uh, like we were talking about earlier, another interesting conversation is what's the impact on Vampire Weekend? Because not only is Ezra working on that animated series, they also said the vamp- the new Vampire Weekend album's almost done. It should be here in 2018. Also, New Arctic Monkeys in 2018, as I heard the last couple days. That's big news. That's very exciting. So, we got a couple big tentpole acts coming out with new albums. I'm very excited for that. It's been a long time since uh, since both those came out. 2013. It's going to be five years. So, I think this honestly puts a lot of pressure on Ezra to deliver here. It does. Um, Because Rostam has been so prolific. And I I think people don't realize what kind of impact Rostam has on Vampire Weekend. Well, and that's sort of my point, is that I think... it's, It's funny because as much as I'm enjoying this record, in some ways it depresses me a little bit because I'm like, ooh, are they... So are all the sounds on this now going to be not a part of Vampire Weekend? Right, Because a lot of what is coming to bear on this Mm. Rostam album... Are the things I really like right. about Vampire Weekend, and what's interesting is, it's maybe it's a little bit of a sum of the parts thing because I really like what Ezra does over these types of tracks and the way that he would mix whatever Rostam brought to the table and integrate more of a straight ahead like yep. rock, yep. beachy sort of Paul Simon sound over yep. the top because it's clear that Rostam draws from some various world music yep. influences as well. Um, I think he's Iranian, right? Yes, I think that is correct. And I think his family, they were immigrants. And so he draws from all kinds of influences musically. And I think that's part of what made Vampire Weekend such an interesting yep. cocktail of sounds. Yep. And Ezra has his own sort of eclectic like mix of yep. sounds. I'm curious if it'll be more sort of like akin to what they were doing with that first album that Vampire Weekend put out. Right. Well, I mean, even that had such influence from Rostam. Yeah, like the surf guitar is all Rostam. Yeah. And if, like Cousins, the fast guitar on Cousins, I think, or on, uh, like, I think any, any of that quick A-punk. surf guitar stuff, yeah, on that first I think record. that's all Rostam playing that. Yeah. So let, let me ask you this before we move on to the next album. Gut feeling, is this new Vampire Weekend album, it can't be as good as vampires no. or, or any of the other ones, no, right? No. It can't be. My gut feeling is it's going to be their worst. I agree. I agree with that. I would be I would yeah. be like very pleasantly surprised if, Me it, too. if it stacks up. Me too. Me too. Uh, but I do look forward to it because Ezra Koenig is someone who I, I really like. He's, uh, I think... And a talent unto himself yeah, as sure. well. So yeah. let's not discount him. Let's let's see what happens. But my gut probably tells me it's it's not going to be Sure, I think that's best, fair. But I think that's fair. But yeah. Uh, all right. So the next album we wanted to talk about was Phoebe Bridgers, uh, Stranger in the Alps, which from yeah. what you told me was a, a pretty funny and obscure um, reference to, yes, to, to the big Lebowski. Ben, yeah, Lebowski. So I, um, when I went to listen to this album, immediately upon seeing the title, I realized what the, what the title was a reference to. It's a very, I think, kind of clever, obscure reference to The Big Lebowski. And what's funny is that Stranger in the Alps is a phrase that sounds really cool as an, yeah. a record album title. Yeah. Um, but if you know Lebowski, and I can only assume she's doing this because it's too specific not to be. Oh, and her sense of humor on social media would indicate that this is 100% a Lebowski reference. And the reference is in The Big Lebowski, there's a scene where John Goodman's character, Walter, um, 
goes to his favorite TV writer's house and like his the, this guy's son is a real like pissant sort of a jerk off. I yeah. forget what even the fuck they're doing. That movie is such a stoner movie. The <laughs> yeah. plot is so all over the place. I love Lebowski, but is it um, your favorite movie of all time? It, yeah, that's what I would say for a lot, it, based on like pure number of viewings and the fact that I think you can quote any line from that movie and it's funny. Yes, I don't okay. think it's. I don't, by no means think it's the best movie of all time. Okay, it's probably my favorite. Okay, um, so in the real movie, John Goodman's character is like takes a bat and is smashing this kid's like nice car, smashing the windshield mm-hmm. in, and he's saying, "See what happens, Larry? This is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass." That's what he says. And on TV, when this is syndicated for TV, they edit that line to, "This is what happens when you meet a stranger <coughs> in the Alps." <coughs> yeah. If you can't tell listeners, we're both dealing with a little sickness. Yeah, we, we, you've passed it back. We've passed it back and forth. Which basically. was no small part of why we took last week off. Yeah. So yeah. So right off the jump, I was excited by this album based on its title, um, and because I enjoyed the EP that Phoebe Bridgers put out last year. Yeah. So Phoebe Bridgers, she got put on our radar because we were lucky enough to see Julian Baker in Portsmouth, Portsmouth. New Hampshire. At a very small, intimate venue, and Phoebe Bridgers opened and plays a very similar style of music to Julian Baker, kind of that lo-fi, solo, singer-songwriter, sad, acoustic-style music. And we, I, I really enjoyed Phoebe Bridgers when she opened for Julian Baker. I checked out her EP, and I was I was very, very excited for this album to come out. And honestly, I don't I don't think this album disappointed at all. I, I'm I was very happy to listen to it. I, I've listened to it a good amount of times. I think some of the songs on here, in particular, Motion Sickness, yes. Smoke Signals, Funeral, great, great songs. She had a couple that were on the EP that ended up on this album. In Killer slightly, in Georgia. In slightly different formats. Um, Which is the one? Is it Would You Rather, where she sings with Connor Oberst, you were saying? Yes, yes. Connor Oberst is featured on Would You Rather. That's a song where the first listen through, I didn't love it. And more, the more I've listened to I think that's a really nice song. Yeah. The little call and response yep. she does in the chorus is yep. nice. You um, you Missed My Heart's a really cool song, too. It, like, it is cool. There's some really nice, subtle things going on in this album. And I think it really lends itself to the time of the year it's coming out in, too. Yeah. In the autumn, it's getting a little darker, a little cooler out. Really lends itself to this style of music. Look, you absolutely have to be in the mood to be listening to something like this because it doesn't, it's unyielding in its tone and what it's going for, which is like it's sad singer songwriter music. And this is what I was going to say if there's nits to be picked, it's that I think Phoebe Bridgers, while I've been very much, I actually have been really enjoying this album and I like the EP and I really don't have a problem with her, but if there's a, a nit that I would pick, it's that I think she can be a little on the nose sad. Yeah. And like to the point where I think she has some really interesting lyrics. But she has some lyrics where she literally just says, like, I'm so blue all the time. Right. Like, why am I so sad? And you know what? You could make the argument artistically, like, the simplest thing you can say is the truest thing. So, you know, that, like, fair enough. Yeah. Um, I'll talk myself in circles about that. But um, I think she could, you know, come across, especially if you're not in the mood or if you're in a particularly cynical mood, she can come across as, like, a little bit, it's it's sort of, you know, obvious. But if this this gets you in the right mood, this is going to... Do it for you. And, to, and over this past week, I've been in that mood a couple times where I'm like, I need this. Yeah. And this has resonated in exactly the right way. And I got to be honest, 
this album I've enjoyed more than some of the big, big releases this year. I like this more than Arcade Fire. I like this more than LCD Sound System. I like this more than a lot of other ones that you could point to this year. And that might seem like heresy to some of the listeners out there. But for some reason, this has just been kind of doing it for me. Yeah, I think she's doing some interesting stuff on here. I mean, I think she's staying the course for the most part from the EP while expanding her sound a little bit more, including some bigger production up to like I think in some cases a full band on songs and there's like, some nice uh, strings on there too yeah. motion sickness is I think yeah. I think the clear standout oh on it's here. the best track on here that's one of my uh, that's in my best songs of 2017 playlist I love that song it is the standout on here if you're gonna listen to one on here it's motion sickness and, and I think it's because melodically it's the most interesting um, she's doing the most with it instrumentally and in terms of production. And I think it just is the best conceived song on here. Mm-hmm. I think the thing about Phoebe Bridgers that I, I do appreciate is there's a, she really is someone who like makes you think. I, I think yeah. she's someone who clearly thinks in a way that we sort of do. Yeah. Where we, I, I think the listeners, but at this point it's no mystery, we tend, <laughs> we trend a little depressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, you that, could say that that's again. That's not a mystery at this <laughs> yeah. point, right? I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, she speaks to me in, on some level right. uh, with right. those songs, but I think that where she's really made a jump with this record from the EP and from what I thought of her live, which was a generally positive impression, is that I think she's making strides towards more musically interesting things. Yes. Um, which I really appreciate. Yep. So it, I, I, yep. I, I think this is a, a really solid step for her. Agreed, agreed, agreed. I've been enjoying it. Let's move on now, Jake. Let's talk quickly about The Killers with their new album, Wonderful, Wonderful. Now, I don't know that there's a ton to say about the album itself. because sure. at, So for some context, listeners, I... I'm a pretty big Killers fan. I count Sam's Town and Hot Fuss among two of my favorite albums of all time. Day and Age is right up there, too, to be honest with you. I'm a big Killers fan. I love Sawdust. I love those B-sides. They've fallen off a little bit with Battleborn, and in my opinion, with this album, there's some good songs on here. Run for Cover. I think The Man is good, despite some cringeworthy lyrics like USDA certified lean. Yeah, that's it. But it's like it's but, a little tongue in cheek. But if the part of that song where he's like, "I got cash in the bank" or whatever yeah, he's saying, "I got yeah. no," he's saying, "I got gas in the tank," "I got money in the bank." If that part of the song doesn't get cu- yeah. stuck in your head, like you're not, you probably don't have a pulse. Yeah, exactly. And like I kind of laugh when he's like, "USDA certified lean." Like I think that's funny. That song's tongue in cheek. Yeah, yes. Yes. Full on. And like to be honest with you, I expected worse from this album. I expected yeah. it to be worse. I think this is a slight notch above Battleborn. I never. I think the song "Wonderful, Wonderful" is pretty good. I think the man's good. Run for cover is good. Tyson versus Douglas is a pretty good song. There's some bad songs on here. Like, have all the songs been written? It's a bad song. There's some other ones that aren't really great on here either. Like uh, the calling or out of my mind. Like I don't think those are great. Here's the deal about the Killers. They're at a point in their career where they don't need to put out great records, really. And it it seems like they're always going to be known for Mr. Brightside, for Hot Fuss, for those those singles that were on that album. Here's what's interesting, though. My favorite by them is Samstown. I love Samstown. You're a Samstown I'm a Samstown guy. And it's frustrating to me when the narrative with the Killers is, oh, everything after Hot Fuss was garbage. That's not the case. Samstown, I think, is a better album pound for pound than Hot Fuss, and I think you'd find a lot of people who agree with that. Hot Fuss, sneaky, gets weak towards the back half. It's front-loaded. It's right. top-heavy. 
Sam's talent, I think, is consistent throughout. Day and age, consistent as well. Now, say what you want to say about Battleborn, about this album, but I think the Killers do not get their due for being a consistent indie rock band for at least the first half of their run. Yeah, maybe they don't get enough respect. I mean, yeah. I, I from, from they seem to be a punchline more than anything. They are, and for what it's worth, I, I'm someone who I respect the hell out of Brandon Flowers, and I I think the Killers are really really cool, and I I've not been as avid a listener or a fan as you, but I'm a defender of them as well. Yeah, because I'm a defender of bands that are willing to pl- like play basically songs that swing for the fences melodically, songs that swing for the fences in terms of sound. And I think that this is a guy, Brandon Flowers, where the songs he writes are so fucking catchy. Mm-hmm. He's, I think he is a really undervalued... You know what he has is he has the Paul McCartney effect, where in his own era, he doesn't seem cool. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be appreciated more with time. I think give it a few decades. I think so, too, especially where Mr. Brightside is such an easy entry point, especially for people 20, 25 years from now. Like That song is going to endure as one of the best of the early 21st century. That was one of the biggest songs of that decade. And I think it's going to be easy for people to be like, oh, Mr. Brightside, yeah, that song's awesome. And then be like, well, what, what else were they about? And hear some of these other songs and be like, well... Why weren't they more like? Why weren't these songs huge too? Yeah, I mean, even even in their <laughs> sillier like moment, like I love all the like the, any song I've heard off of uh, um, Day and Age, Human, Spaceman, uh, or is it Spaceman? Sp- yeah, yeah, those songs I think are so catchy and so cool. And um, I, it's actually a wonder I haven't gotten more into the Killers because they they really are up my alley in yeah. terms of like what they bring to the table. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think there's no no fault at all in defending the killers. No, no, and I think back to this new album, Wonderful, Wonderful. It's it's okay at best, probably. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're being cynical, it's probably bad, uh, with the exception of a few songs, which disappoints me and is too bad. But that's where they're at in their career now, and that's fine. And at the like, same time, whatever. at the same time, do you need another great Killers record, really? No, you it'd, probably don't. It'd be nice. Yeah, but, but you know. You have the albums you need Yeah, what else are they going to do at this point? And maybe they have, like, a very late career resurgence. Maybe, where they, maybe they do, or maybe they're just like, you know what, we got those first three records and a couple songs here and there otherwise, and that's going to be it. So, as a big Killers fan... You know, I'll listen to the songs I like off this, Run for Cover, The Man, etc. But other than that, it's still going to be me. If I want to listen to The Killers, I'm going to be listening to Sam's Town and Hot Fuss. Okay. So, Sean, I want to talk for a minute about, I think, the band who is the least like The Killers in the world. If there's, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, I I don't, this might be correct. I don't know if there's two <laughs> bands we could have put back-to-back that are less yeah. similar in almost yeah. every way. And the band I'm referring to is Godspeed You Black Emperor. Uh, Godspeed the, You Black Emperor. Black Emperor. I like the, whatever the fuck is happening with the punctuation of that it's band name. I don't understand. Else. Like, yeah. is it even? Is it supposed to be the same sentence? Is it even the same speaker? I don't. Know. I don't know. I'm not sure. So, Godspeed You Black Emperor is a band that I got into with their last release. The similarly confoundingly punctuated "Alleluia, Don't Bend, Ascend." Yeah. Uh, which Don't I bend, was, ascend! Yeah, yeah, all exclamation points, which I thought was a really, really cool um, album. So a little background, because I don't think this is a band who's like... I wouldn't say they're by any stretch widely mainstream, popular, or, or super well-known. I think people have probably heard the name. But Godspeed is a Montreal-based... Basically, I think they're kind of considered post-rock. They kind mm-hmm. of have... 
they're one of these bands that has a ton of members and they're based around guitar, drums, the basic elements of a rock band, but they have also string elements of the, of this of their band and they go with like sort of dissonant noise. They're sort of a noise rock element of what they do. Um, so like I said, I got into their last record, which came out I think three years ago, two, three years ago. Um, and so this new record, Luciferian Towers. Came, because of course that's what the name of this album is. Of course that's the name. And, and the thing is, is like, it's funny because, and this is sort of what I mean about opposites, it's like all the things you'd make fun of the killers for are the literal opposite things you'd make fun of Godspeed for because Godspeed, they're just, they're the opposite. They're as self-important as you could be. They're as pretentious a thing you could possibly like within the realm of rock. It's basically the rock band equivalent of saying I like free jazz. But here's what I'll say. I think if you give this album a chance or any of their music a chance, although I haven't listened to like those like lift your skinny fists like antennas to heaven or um, F sharp, A sharp, infinity. I haven't listened to those albums ever, but I've listened to these last two. And from what I gather from Godspeed, they're, I really like this sound they go with. It's sort of this mix of there's this tension constantly building in the underbelly of the music. It's this sort of tense, dissonant, noisy bass but they have these almost orchestral swells of melody and like these triumphant instrumental swells that are really, really actually catchy and really impactful. And I think that continues with Luciferian Towers. I've seen some mixed reviews um, of this album from like, for example, your boy Sean, The Needle Drop, oh, who good. is a big Godspeed fan and I think is in general a huge fan of experimental music yeah. and like noise music. He gave this album a 5 out of 10. Wow. Whereas he gave the previous one like an 8 or 9 out of 10. And he, he thinks it's like a significant drop-off or something. Or that we didn't need this album. <laughs> um, I think it's it's really, really good and it's really interesting. Um, the There's sort of suites on this album. There's a couple different suites of songs. And um, the first one, uh, Bosses Hang, is really, really cool. And there's the second one, Anthem for No State, which is really interesting. Which brings me to... My point about this band that I didn't really know, but I guess somewhere deep inside I always knew, which is that they are, I guess, a radically, radically leftist political band. Yep. Um, and I thought this was, and, and and again, listeners, it's probably no mystery. I I lean pretty far left too politically. So yep. like, they're not. It's not like they're not preaching to the choir a little bit, but they, I think they definitely go a little extreme. And what I mean by that is, in this album, when it came out. They released a one sheet about the record, which contained a list of grand demands, Sean. Grand demands. Grand demands. Now listen to these. I think these are pretty bold demands coming from uh, a band with as little reach <laughs> yeah. as Godspeed, you Black Emperor. Here, here are the demands. They uh, demand an end to foreign invasion. Sure. An end to borders. <laughs> Full stop. And into borders. The total dismantling <coughs> of the prison industrial complex. Dream big. Yeah. Again. And we get two more. Healthcare, housing, food, and water acknowledged as inalienable human rights. I, I, I'm way on board with that. You know, I think you can get on board with like any one of these. You can. Here's the last one. The expert fuckers who broke this world never get to speak again. And who is that exactly? Who is that? Here's the thing. I was thinking about it, and I was like, in their mind, is this band so far detached? Are these people so lost in, like, this stoner, conspiracy almost haze of far leftist politics that they they don't even really, like, know who the major players are? They just, (laughs) they've known for so long. Yep. 
what they think no one else knows right. is that the world is fucked from the jump. Yeah. And like it's it's on us to sort of fix it through music. Because this comes across as really totally naive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have much context for Godspeed You, Black Emperor. Uh, yeah, I can't say I'm surprised about these list of demands. I can't say I disagree with a lot of them either. No, I can't say I disagree. You know, I'd say, yeah, let's let's do that. But, yeah, I don't know that those demands are going to be met, Godspeed You, and, you know? And who are the demands for? Who's answering your call? It, 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 there's something about an album being released with a list of demands is is among it's, the it's funniest it's things. Funny, it's funny. Just the word it's demands. It, it's funny, it's especially just, when your album name is Luciferian Towers. That all being said, I actually really am enjoying this record, and I, I gotta check this out. I, I have no context for this band. I have never listened to them. I gotta check this out. I honestly think you'd like it. I think I probably would. Let's check it out. You know when you should listen to it is whenever like plug it in where you'd listen to uh, <laughs> where where, <laughs> where you'd listen to some ambient or jazz okay. or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Do that. We yeah. got another big news item okay. here, Sean. Big big news item. So this one is not a new album that came out. This is a piece of news that broke this week. One of my favorite indie rock bands, Wild Beasts, broke up this yeah. past week. Or they announced their breakup. They said, we've kind of reached the conclusion of what we wanted to do with this project. We don't, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically we don't want diminishing returns on, on the name that we have set up here and what we've kind of established. We have one more EP coming out, and that's going to be it for us. Mixed thoughts and reactions to this. One, this band is one of the most underrated and talented and interesting indie rock bands of the past 10 years. This band does not get their due for how fucking good they are. Can I insert a quick thought? Yeah. A hot thought, if you will. Yeah, sure. And I've listened to Wild Beasts significantly less than you have. Is Do you think this is coming as a reaction to the fact that that most recent album, Boy King, Boy King. I don't think was received that well? It wasn't. And here's the thing. That album wasn't that bad. I thought at first, I was like, ooh, this is very good. Not a good cover. Terrible cover. Not a good name, either. Boy King? No. They say boy a lot in their songs, I've noticed. You know how we, we joke with our friend group about saying, like, boy, and like things like that? Uh, yeah. You can kind of point to that with this band where they say boy a lot. Yeah. Uh, boy King was not received that well. Not a bad album, though. Okay. I, I listened to it a decent amount last year because I was like, this band really does it for me. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Not a bad album. There's some really good songs on there. Here's the deal. Wanderlust, or pre, sorry, Present Tense was, yep. was their album before that. Smother, Two Dancers. Those are th- a run of three amazing albums. Three of the best albums, indie rock albums in a row that you could have had. This decade. And my frame of reference for them is limited to present tense and a couple listens to Smother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And honestly, I would encourage you to really dive in on Smother. And as somebody who even was a big Wild Beast fan, for some reason I had never listened to Two Dancers until very recently. Right. And I, I finally listened and was like, wow, this actually might be their best album. So there's an interesting dichotomy about this band where... They have two different lead singers, and they're both very different. One has this kind of more high-pitched, um, kind of effeminate voice, and the other one is is a little deeper, more masculine-sounding voice. They seem to be singing about things that are like overtly sexual, but come across in 
a more subtle way where it's not like, oh, this is like you're just singing about smut. It's more of in like almost a subtle way, which is interesting. And I was I was texting you about them earlier this week, and I, and I had a hard time describing what they are all about. And I and I think it's almost theatrical. It's a little over the top. It's not like anything else you've really heard. But here's, here's something for you that, if for what it's worth, and it could be a very, it might not be a good comparison, but I have always thought of them as like a better, more interesting alt J. One hundred percent. That makes sense. Does it? Okay. That makes sense. Because they're like this quirky, that makes sort sense. of dark, yep. sort of theatrical British band. Yep. I don't totally get. Right. But I know I like some of what they're doing, right. but I haven't delved in enough. That makes sense. I can see that. And I agree with that. Okay. And, and, and I think the point I'm trying to make about Wild Beasts in, in that they're breaking up is it sucks because this is a band that I really, really like and I still don't think has totally gotten their due in the indie rock world. But on the other hand, I th- is it weird I'm kind of relieved by this? No, and I wanted to ask you as the resident Wild Beasts expert on yeah. the podcast, do you feel like this is actually a good thing because it actually sort of solidifies what they had as a, as a discography and you can just yeah. know that now? I think it is because if you look, I, I honestly th- think you could say every album has gotten worse since Two Dancers. That's a very cynical way to look at it because Smother and Present Tense are both great albums on their own. But if you look at Boy King especially, you're like, okay, this definitely wasn't as good. This wasn't up to the same quality as those last three. I remember thinking it felt rushed at the time. Yeah. I was like, oh, another album yeah. so soon. Yeah, so... Yeah, Present Tense was in 2014. This came out 2016. Pretty quick turnaround. Quick turnaround. So, yeah, there is an element of me that's like, you know what? I'm glad we have the finite Wild Beast discography that can kind of be crystallized as this thing that we just have and we can look at as a whole where nothing's going to be added to it. And to their point, they're like, we don't want to like have diminishing returns. I love the self-awareness of that to be like, yeah, let's just call it quits. Youth Lagoon did something similar where yeah. where he was like, I'm done. I don't have anything left to say with this project. I kind of love that you can just be like, okay, that's a thing. And I can listen to everything they put out and just know that like that's it. There's a, comf- there's a comforting thing about that. Especially when you ha- categorize music like the way we do yeah in a way like if you're going to be podcasting about it or writing about it it definitely has this sort of sense of relief yeah no i I can definitely see that and actually i can't say that it doesn't make them more accessible for going back and listening it's like all right well at least i know i don't have to keep up anymore right right exactly get into this band yeah yeah so you know great i think the big big takeaway from this is if you haven't listened to them go listen what's the song by them where the singer's like um like, don't mistake me for someone who that's, gives a fuck. That's like, Wanderlust. Okay, I like yeah, that song a that's lot. That's a great, great song. And, and I got to tell you, there's way better songs on Two Dancers and Smother than even Wanderlust. No. Wanderlust is a great song. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. there are. So check this band out if you haven't listened to them. Yeah, so on the heels of Hot Thoughts, we wanted to do a quick think piece segment. Um, and it's kind of a uh, Hot Thoughts slash think piece because... Um, a new album that came out this week to some, I think, pretty serious critical praise. This album by Moses Sumney called A Romanticism. Um, and so this is an album that has been widely characterized as sort of like pop slash R&B. And part of the reason I bring it up is um, I think both of us, when we listened the first time, had the thought, or I definitely remember having the thought, this 
doesn't really feel like R&B much, and the reason I know that is that I'm liking it more than I usually like R&B albums. This, <laughs> yeah. If I'm being honest with myself, I was like, this actually reminds me a little of like Radiohead and like sort of poppier, almost more like rock bands. It reminds me a little of In Rainbows or even some of what they were doing on uh, uh, Amnesiac yeah. type of sound with these sort of builds and like Tom York's vocals leading it over a sparse guitar. Um, and the reason I bring it up is that I noticed on Twitter, Moses Sumney tweeted out something to the similar sort of effect. He he tweeted in a string of tweets, I love R&B music, but this description bothers me most. Oh, sorry, it starts with this. I keep getting written about as an, quote, R&B artist. And then he says, here's my first single, here's my last. And he links to the singles, probably to say, like, what do you think? Yeah. The next tweet says, let's have a dialogue. Aesthetically, what classifies this as modern R&B music? What about it uh, fits into that category? And then he goes, I love R&B music, but this description bothers me most because I get it the most. And it's only race ba- It's the only race-based classification of my music. And when I saw that, I was like, you know, I, I honestly can't say that's not accurate or not fair because um, I, I would say that R&B is a style of music that always eludes me a little bit. Even though I can appreciate it, I never quite like it as much as I've been enjoying an album like this one where I think what... Moses Sumney's doing on this record is more akin to like pop. It reminds me a little mm. of like the Beach Boys and like I said, Radiohead, but like through a jazzier sort of filter. Um, and I think something we've noticed, Sean, and this is why I brought it up, is that we've noticed when there's great reviews for albums by artists who are classified in R&B, we usually sort of know off the bat we're not going to be that interested. Yeah. And so two questions. One, is that a little racist on our part, should we own that? Two, is it also, if not racist, a little overly simplistic for music critics and music writers to write about all black artists who are solo artists releasing solo albums and just sort of lump them into R&B? Is that also a little bit too simplistic? So to answer your first question with us, I think... Maybe subconsciously it could be. It could be a yeah. little and racist might be race, too strong. Ra- race, it's race related. Maybe subconsciously, I think there's something to be said too about like maybe that just style of music doesn't resonate with me as much. Maybe I'm yeah. more inclined to listen to you know rock music. Fair enough. Do I think there is a race element to how these types of albums are talked about critically? In the music press, yeah, I I think there is because he makes a great point here. Where, yeah, maybe this isn't actually R and B. This does sound like Radiohead a lot, and Radiohead's not classified as R and B. They're classified as indie rock, basically. So, yeah, I think there is absolutely an element to this, and I think it's a fair thing to bring up, and I think it's a, a conversation that maybe needs to be have here that no one maybe is talking about. I would say the exception and, and a devil's advocate stance on this is that someone like How to Dress Well, who is a white man, is often classified in the R&B True. sphere. True. So, I mean, that just to be fair. True. But I do think that like the tag of just R&B is thrown out there for yes. if you see a solo black artist, male or female... Releasing a solo release, whether you're critically, that's not rap, right? Whether you're yeah. praising it or whether you're panning it, yeah. usually the categorization is R and B, and there's not really a debate to be had here for us. I just thought it was an interesting, thought-provoking thing where I almost didn't listen to this record. I got to be honest yeah. with you because usually with R and B, I just know that it'll be it won't be that big a return for me because it just right. somewhere it's like you said, 
I think it just has to do with the way I was brought up. The music I have always surrounded myself with, it never resonates with me as, as much as I hope it will. Right. Or it will be more work to get it there. And I, I've actually been really enjoying this Moses Sumney record um, more than I usually do an R&B album. Yeah, and the reason I listened to this is because they specifically called out the bluesy element of it in the Pitchfork review. I was like, oh, maybe I maybe that will be my way in to this because it's you know maybe it's taking more from blues, and I didn't totally get that either from it to be honest with you. So I gotta say that also feels like a slightly coded way of writing. Yeah, about it. it does. It does because to, what I picked up on most is the fucking amazing and beautiful vocals on this album. Yeah. This dude has an incredible voice. Yeah. And he layers them. Like the, like the last track, Self Help Tape, which is just guitar and him singing wordless vocals over the top and harmonizing with, I think, himself. It's gorgeous. The way yeah. he sings. Like some of these songs really do remind me of like more like rock songs. And the way this guy sings is, is absolutely incredible. It's like this mix of falsetto. It's this totally raspy falsetto type yeah. of thing it's been doing it for me this week songs like self-help tape indulge me doomed and like don't bother calling i would say are like some of the highlights yeah it's been it's been a nice little surprise and i think what it had me realize is like is this something that i just sort of cast aside on a basis of really of race because this is a solo album by a black guy who's not a rapper and so it's called R&B, and so I'm like, oh, I'm not going to really dig it, because I don't usually love R&B. Could be, and I think it's a fair conversation to bring up, and I think it's an interesting one to have. And I think maybe not only ourselves, but music writers and, and music publications need to take a look at how they're classifying these things and, and why that might be. Oops, he just started playing well, on my Mo phone. Moses right there. There he is. So, so yeah. he just food for thought, really. Yeah, more than yeah, anything. absolutely. I think it's it's an interesting conversation to have, for and sure. I, and obviously, I think it's too big a claim to say, like, all music writers are racist. Because <laughs> right. they call the sure. show and be. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. But I do think it's interesting that, like, we had that thought. We're like, this actually kind of reminds us of, of mm. some of our favorite bands a little bit. Yeah. And then to look on Twitter and see that Moses Sumney himself has said similar things. Yeah. Also... Moses is a cool name. It's an awesome name. Just, just a cool Very name biblical. in general. Very biblical. <laughs> yeah. So we have two more segments here, listeners. Two more, yeah. Let's In this, what is turning into a long a episode. long episode. A lot to talk about. Hey, that's what happens when you take a week off. You have a lot to talk that's about. Right. Let's get. Let's do show and tell. We'll, right. we'll try and keep it, you know, as maybe compact as possible, if that's possible with this. It is tough. So Jake and I had the good fortune to go and see Paul McCartney in New York City at Madison Square Garden, the Mecca. And if you recall, we were very, very worried that the tickets we had purchased for this were going to be fake. We thought they might have been forgeries because I purchased tickets for tickets, tickets for pretty cheap on a website called Online City Tickets. And if I haven't covered this on the podcast, I'll just say to sum it up, they have a checkered history with the Better <laughs> Business best. with yeah. the Better Business Bureau. So we get down to the show. It's in New York City. We live in New Hampshire. And for reference, for anyone who's not from this area, it's it's about a five-hour trip. Yeah. It's no joke. So we end up driving to Connecticut, taking a train in. It's it, it's a whole it's a process. day of travel. Got booked a hotel. We have a hotel. So like everything's hinging on the, <laughs> these tickets being real. 
And I'm really nervous waiting in line. We end up stri- striking up a conversation. And this actually calmed my nerves a little bit. We yeah. met this woman who happened to have roots from New Hampshire as well. What are the odds? I Who knows? Big shout to that lady. Big shout if you're to her, listening. If you're listening somehow. She was like the opposite of us where we're true introverts. Yeah. And we like a conversation for us is in a room with microphones <laughs> talking just to each other about things we, we picked ahead of time. Right. Whereas for her, she'll just talk to anyone. We about anything. Just this random woman. And she was like, the, she like got a kick out of us because we were like, yeah, we're not going to go because these tickets are fake. Yeah. Tickets weren't fake. We got lucky somehow. We were so pumped when the tickets worked. We all like high-fived each other. We did high-five. We were riding that wave of excitement. It, it, it was a great feeling. I I I honestly true I think there was like it was like a 60/40 split 60% yeah. of me thought we were just weren't yeah. going. Yeah. I really believed until almost the bitter end that it just wasn't going to happen cuz I'm like kind of a negative person. Yeah. Um we did end up going and so what I want to talk about is we saw fucking Paul McCartney, dude. We saw a living beetle. I still can't believe it. I know. I can't believe it. The whole experience was surreal. When I look back, it's surreal that we saw Paul fucking McCartney. It because I all I've seen is this dude on screens and like this guy that just doesn't even seem real. Yeah, and to actually see him in concert in person did not feel real. And I was like, wait, this guy is a real person? Like yeah. it, didn't, it, it was insane. And there he was, like, and dude, Paul McCartney's seventy five years yeah. old. Yeah, and there he was. And I gotta say, in terms of did this live up to expectations or not? Personally, I think absolutely. It oh, I I would agree with that. I don't I gen- agree. I don't generally like shows in stadiums, but I feel like, like that's just like the smallest part of this. Yeah. Because the biggest thing is like, Paul McCartney is the closest thing I have in life to an actual hero. Yeah. An actual living hero. Yeah. I don't. I like. I don't almost even believe in that. Right. Paul McCartney is like the closest thing I have to like. I look at that dude and I'm like, I just like love you. Right. In an unyielding way. Yep. Even the things that suck about you, I love. Yeah. And so seeing him in concert was fucking amazing. And he is someone who, if you're a Beatles fan, he delivers in every way because he gets up there and plays a two and a half hour set yeah. of all the fucking hits you would want to so hear. Hits. It's unbelievable. He's the consummate showman. And the fact that he is so willing to just put on a good show year after year, show after show, astounds me. He's he it, it is he's an incredible person. It, it seems that he just understands what it means to fans to come and see him, and and he it, he doesn't get tired of it really. No, he, he gets he he says all the stuff he needs to say to get the reactions from the crowd. And whether you've seen him twenty times, like there were people there who had seen yes. him a ton, or you were seeing him the first time, like we were. You get something out of it either way, and you are left feeling satisfied. And he just knows how to put on a great, satisfying show. And he does it in a way that only Paul McCartney could do. Yeah. It because like John Lennon and George Harrison, as amazing as they were and as important as they were to the Beatles, um, and as much great stuff as they did in their solo work, neither of them could be Paul McCartney. And, and you would not get as effective a Beatles-y show... In 2017 from either of them because, and this is what I want to talk about a little bit, is Paul as a performer and a person, he has this level of, he somehow balances the most insane ego and lack of Mm -hmm. self-awareness with this like working class British humility. Yeah, And he's packaged it into the most perfect, like, like he, 
he's so able to all at once be like, I know what you're fucking here for. And yep. you're going to hear all these songs and you're all going to eat it out of the palm yep. of my hand. Yeah. All while being like, oh, you're all too much. Like, yeah. I'm, like I'm, so, I'm just old Paul. From, yeah. <laughs> I'm still Jenny from the block, basically. Right. I don't know how he does it. He's like, that's what I mean when I say he's like a special individual. Like, there's not many people who can eat up the limelight with as much grace as Paul McCartney does. I think he's taken for granted in a lot of ways. It's true. And it, this show actually made me think about what it's going to be like when he eventually dies and, yeah. and what that day is going to be like. I think I'm going to cry, to be honest with you. I think that will be the day I cry about I think I'm going to cry. Too. I think I will. This dude means so much to me in so many different ways. It's it's gonna suck when he dies. What's crazy is like I, it sounds so trite and so like cliched, but the Beatles have this effect and Paul has this effect where he his music is so important to me and it's such a big, like huge part of my life and and how I define myself and mm. how I think about mm-hmm. the world. That when he was there performing, I I felt like he like knew me. Yeah, I was yes, like, yes, that's a great point. I was like, oh, if I met Paul right now, he'd know who I am. Yeah. And I sometimes have to can tell myself, like, no, dude, he has no fucking clue who and, you and are. And I think that's how a lot of people feel with him, because the Beatles are such a big part of everybody's lives that they go there and they're like, oh, like, this is, this is you know, so familiar. And that's how I felt, too. I was like, oh. And that's part of the reason why it was so surreal. It was like, this guy who has meant so much to me and been such a big part of my life... He's just here right now. In, in a way, I was like, well, this is weird because I've never been this close to him. But in a way, I have been. It's this weird disconnect where I, it's hard to explain. It was weird. And, like, I want to talk a little bit about his song selection. So I'm looking at, at Setlist yeah. FM right now. It looks like he played... Get, okay, just guess how many total songs he played, including medleys. So, like, individual songs. 30. 39 songs. Wow. A packed set, including Encore. He played 39 songs. Damn. And it, this was a set list that spanned all generations. He opened with hard, A Hard Day's Night, and he played songs as recent as like Queenie Eye from New and uh, um, Four or Five Seconds, which he recorded yes. with Rihanna and Kanye West. Yep. Um, what was your favorite song he played, would you say? You know, I, I think it might have been his George tribute. Yeah. With something. He started out on the ukulele that George gave him, which is a classic Paul concert staple at this point. And I was like, oh, this is nice. And it wasn't until the rest of the band kicked in and actually played the the something riff. Where I was like, oh, fuck, this is nice. Something was definitely up there. If we're talking about Paul solo songs, yeah. uh, that's, that's a tough one. I, you know, you can't beat Band on the Run. That was amazing. And yeah. Hey Jude was a special moment too. I think for for everybody that that was Hey Jude is up there as well. For hey me. Jude was really really cool. I mean, dude, I'm looking at it now. I forgot he played some of these songs. Like he played Lady Madonna at this show. Yep, I he remember, played yep. Blackbird at this show, yeah. which was awesome. Yep. And I love her. Uh, you know, and like maybe I'm amazed was a really good one. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was really, really cool good. His see. voice sounded good on that too, surprisingly, because yeah. his voice has definitely lost a step. <laughs> but I, I mean, I'll forgive him that. I mean, he's seventy-five years old and he's still doing it. Like that's awesome. I bet you were pumped to hear "Let Me Roll It." Oh my God! Yeah, I love "Let which Me I Roll It," which I know is one of your favorites. You know what I was surprised he didn't play was uh, Uncle Albert. Yeah, he didn't that, play that. Yeah, I don't know. I this is something I've wondered. I wonder if Paul knows how highly that song is yeah. regarded. I don't know yeah, that he really maybe knows. Not. Maybe not. I'm not sure he is aware. 
the encore itself, th- like listen to this as an encore. This is like a set. Yesterday, Day Tripper, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, Helter Skelter, and then Golden Slumbers Carry That Weight at the End. Yeah, that's something. Imagine being able to get back up on stage after playing 32 songs, almost to a song, every one a classic, and that's your encore. <laughs> It's crazy. Uh, yeah. And honestly, like, if you're a listener, this this just sounds, like, effusive and uh, over the top. Yeah. Like, the praise that we're yeah. laying on him. But it, I, I think he deserves it. I, I agree. Um, I think the, some of the ones you mentioned were among my favorites. I think Something is the biggest highlight for me. Mm. Um, when the whole band kicked in, like you said, yeah, it was, awesome. was really, really so cool. Good. Um, also, a big deal for me was hearing Day Tripper, weirdly, because... Um, as a kid in eighth grade, I played Day Tripper for the That's right. like class talent show. Could have been you up there with him. May as well have been, Could have been you playing the riff. That's right. And then like trying to not mess up the solo it, in yeah, B. Yeah. Um, weirdest song choice for me. It was he played for the benefit of Mr. Kite. It's not even close. The weirdest choice was Mr. Kite. Yeah. It, like nothing. Nothing comes close to that. Why of all songs are you picking that? I don't know, and it's like it's not only a John song. It's it's this weird John song from Sgt. Pepper that, like, of all the songs in that album, I think has aged maybe the worst. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, it's still really cool to see him yeah, play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm gonna I'll watch a Beatle play being for the benefit of Mr. Kite all fucking day. Yeah, you know that's really cool to me. He did play a Day in the Life, which was neat. That was really cool, and I also liked how he acknowledged that no one gives a shit about his new solo yeah. songs. He's like, it turns into a black hole out there. It's like, yeah, dude, it does. Play the hits. He had a sense of humor about it. Though. Yeah, and the yeah. thing is, like, he delivers with the hits. He does. Like, even though I didn't know those songs, I was like, these still sound really good. Yeah, and like almost to to a song, I recognized, I would say, of the 39, I think I recognized and knew almost word for word 35, 36. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There were, there were a couple. The second song he played, I guess, was called Save Us. I didn't know that song. No, I didn't. I didn't know And that. I didn't know Letting Go, the wing song, that well. No, I don't know that one that well either. Um, but yeah, man, what a set. And like just that, that's an experience where if you're a Beatles fan at all, if you have the chance to see Paul McCartney live, it's very worth it because it's he just like puts on such a great show and in the way that it's funny because it's in the way that I think usually we would not like shows. You know oh I mean? yeah, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Where he was it was like with Hey Jude, we did the corny and now the ladies sing along, yes. and now the guys. Yes. But it worked. I was it worked. E- I was eating I loved the, it. I was eating out of the yeah. palm of his hand. Yeah, I was, only I, Paul, man. I was buying everything he was selling. Only Paul. Um really quick thoughts on seeing Madison Square Garden? Awesome! I'm so I'm so happy. I got to go to MSG, the Mecca. Weirdly, it's first of all, it's so crazy that that's just in the middle of Midtown Manhattan yeah. that they fit this this arena in there. Because when you're inside, it doesn't feel like you're in Manhattan at all. Which no. of course it wouldn't. But also, the like the concourse around it, like not what I expected it to look like or feel like at all, really. But no. in a way, it. Did seem it fit? I, I don't know. It was weird. It felt more intimate and somehow smaller than I thought. The the actual inside, the arena part, yeah, definitely felt more intimate than any other arena I've been in. It it felt like whereas like if, if the Boston Garden, for example, and I assume most sports arenas feel like a big oval, yeah. This was definitely still technically an oval, but Madison Square Garden somehow felt more like a circle. Yeah. It's. I think it's somehow how they structure the seats and how they put the seats in there, where just 
even if you're up in the cheap seats like we kind of were, it, it you don't have a bad view, and it just seems like all of the seats are closer somehow than they are in other arenas. Oh, yeah, dude. We had, like, almost the worst seats in the house, yeah. and I couldn't have been happier the yeah, whole time. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, MSG is awesome. If you can go see anything there, I, I would highly recommend going to see it. So we have one last segment, listeners, for this episode. Uh, we're doing a Mount Rushmore, so I think... This is probably a month, month and a half ago. Maybe we, more, yeah. Yeah, we sort of stumbled our way by accident into doing <coughs> a Mount Rushmore of Sean's. <laughs> yeah. And since Sean is one half of this podcast, we're going to do a Mount Rushmore today of Jake's or Jacob's. Yes. Um, yes. Do you want to go first? Or you want me no, to go you first? can go. You go first. Okay. So I get some honorable mentions first to get out of the way. One is, and I'm not going to include this in my list, is the average to bad quarterback <laughs> subgrouping of Jake's. Yeah. Something about the name Jake lends itself to being a, like, middling quarterback in the NFL. This yep. includes Jake DeLome, Jake Plummer, Jake Locker. I think there's more. Um, there probably are. But yeah. it, it, that's sort of a subgroup I've always thought about. Here's, so here's my Mount Rushmore. I'm going Jake Gyllenhaal because he's like a A-list actor. Stay tuned after the show. In the post-show, we talk a little bit about Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, I'm going to go with Jake LaMotta from Raging Bull. Just recently died. R.I.P. Right. Played by Robert De Niro in the famous and acclaimed Raging Bull directed by Scorsese. I also, for my money, Jake LaMotta has the coolest spelling of Jacob. G-I-A-C-O-B-B-E. I I think it's the Italian version. (laughs) Jacob. That's pretty awesome. Which I thought was pretty neat. Um, I also have Jacob from the Bible. (laughs) In my list. And yeah. here's why, Sean. Jacob from the Bible had 12 sons. <laughs> Jacob from the Bible was a big-time family man. And one of his sons was Joseph uh, with the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yes, That's the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, yep. I had pulled up earlier the Wikipedia page of all his sons' names. Most of them have not aged well. Like, like Joseph was one of the only ones that... Like, Dan was one. But yep. this dude had 12 sons. Yeah. So I'm, I'm holding him up there. And it, you know, if your kid is is uh, Joseph with the Technicolor Dreamcoat, then that, yeah, that's, that's, that's A-OK by me. Here's, here's a quick side thought. Wikipedia entries about biblical figures, they confuse me because I can't tell if this was actually a person or if it's like if he's written about as just this is someone who really existed. Yeah. Like where is the fiction versus fact biblical line? That's a good question and I don't know that anyone has an answer to that. I'm not totally sure. Uh, Last but not least, I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with Jake the dog from Adventure Time. The candidate he beat out was Jake from State Farm, but I put that in as a hate love thing because that's kind of a stupid joke I hear all the time. Yeah. I don't watch Adventure Time all the time, but it's a show that's pretty famous and uh, pretty well loved by kids today. Yep. And uh, Jake the dog, I think, is yep. a pretty beloved character. Yep. So here's mine. You you took a lot of the Jakes out there, to be honest with you. I did. Um, and well, so the quarterbacks you can hardly. You I'm know. gonna. I'm, I'm going to go with Jake LaMotta as one of mine. That's totally fair. Uh, and I'm also going with Jake Gyllenhaal as one of mine because I think he's he's one of our, our best actors going right as now. As common a name as, there, as it is, there's not, there's not of, that many famous Jakes, to be not, honest not with not you. Not good Jakes. Yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, I'm also going with Jake, my co-host and friend, no. as also on the Mount Rushmore. has to be. It's I think good, you're definitely better than these average to bad quarterbacks. It's a good thing this is a podcast, Sean, because I'm blushing uh, bright enough to see from space. <laughs> and then my last one, I'm going Jake Lloyd, Anakin Skywalker himself, also was in Jingle All the Way, 
as what was his name in it? Jamie. <laughs> Jamie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Turbo man. <laughs> that was a that was a big get for you, Jake Lloyd. I forgot yep. all about Jake yep. Lloyd. Jake Lloyd. Not a good actor. Uh no. Uh better but, or worse, Jake Lo- who's better? Jake Lloyd or Hayden Christensen? Oh, that's tough. Yippee! I uh, versus soft and smooth. Not like sand. I'm I gonna. Am, I am. Tra- <sighs> I am trying, Master. Oh my God! I, I'm going with Hayden Christensen because I think he was given really shitty lines by George Lucas. Sure. And you know he's actually good in Shattered Glass. Yeah. About that guy at the New Republic magazine who faked stories. Stay in that cockpit. <laughs> Anakin. But I stay in that cockpit. Stay in that cockpit. And it, dude, like, what a ridiculous! <laughs> oh, when you man. think about the fact. That Qui-Gon was like, I know where Anakin can hide. In the cockpit for a fucking... We could do a whole hour-long podcast about the fuck-ups that Qui-Gon Jinn made throughout that entire movie. He actually is like the reason that Darth Vader and the Empire come to power. 100% yes. Isn't that funny to think about? That would be an interesting thesis statement to write for like some kind of like master master's degree also one of the easiest to prove 1000% yes because the Jedi Council directly tells him like dude we can't train this kid yep. he's too old and there's too much darkness in him we already see because he was a slave he's gonna be evil and yep. Qui-Gon's like I'll train him myself <laughs> it's like dude no listen to this wise counsel listen to like Yoda like uh... Yoda's hundreds of years old and the smartest dude in the galaxy what are you fucking thinking I, yeah, I, so I'm going Hayden Christensen, the better Anakin, okay. even though he's not very good. Um, so yeah, that's my Mount Rushmore of Jakes. What an episode! <laughs> Packed episode, dude. I think it's one of our longest ever. I, it's gonna be like an hour and a half, maybe more. It's, it's pretty long. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty, right. it's pretty long. It's hey, pretty we, long. We're giving the listeners what they want. Hopefully, hopefully, stay tuned for the the after show. I think there's some good stuff in there. Some yeah. good content. Some in there. interesting stuff. Yeah, we talk yeah. a little football. We talk a little Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. So listen. Talk in. a little the Deuce. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned for that, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye. Hiatus. Yeah. 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 I think we needed it. I agree. And, you know, we were dealing with some sickness on both ends. Both of us. Very medical forms issues. Of yeah. Some, yeah. It, it was good to have a, a week off. And I think it allowed us to have some better takes on some of these things that came out. Because what ends up happening, you and I both know this, we end up rushing things a little rushing, bit. Rushing. Yeah. And there's almost too much to talk about. We feel like we have to have an opinion on all of these things. Um, Maybe this is a conversation for offline, but I, I think with Hot Thoughts especially, we've just been like, we got to talk about all the new albums. Yeah. And I think this this week we're like, well, maybe we don't need to talk about that one because we don't have a lot to say. Eventually maybe we kind of get back to like, well, is there like just a news item we want to talk about or something like that with Hot Thoughts and save the album talk for ones that like we are really, like we have a lot to say. Yeah, or you know? just don't be so... Like prescriptive about the fact that we have to talk about all of right. the new albums we listen to at all, right? Because I think that's not very listenable. I mean, mm. I've noticed it in myself. Mm. Where like 
I, I've picked up on the fact that it's like, well, I didn't really have any strong it, opinions about that. It's not interesting. That. It's not compelling content. Yeah, there was yeah, a, yeah Like, for example, like this Ariel Pink album. I was thinking today, I was like, how have we not talked about this yet? I know we've taken two weeks off. I'm like, it feels like I've listened to this album a million times. Right. And having that week off really actually hey, helped. Dude, I, I wouldn't have had much to say about it last week. Nope. I'd only listened to it like once. Me too. Yeah, it was so, like twice. Yeah, I know, I'm happy with the extra week because it's now turned into one of like my favorites of the year. So, Dude, it is for me too. Yeah. I think it's going to be in the top ten. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think it could be higher. Yeah. It's like I continue to just enjoy it, but we'll get it's, to that. Yeah, it's really really good. Uh, two other things before we start. One, you know what I was listening to on the way over here? That is actually a fantastic fall album. Um, I'm gonna try to guess genre rock probably indie rock. Came out 2010. 2010. Something by maybe Animal Collective? No, I don't know. Halcyon Digest, dude. Deer Hunter. Okay, so here's that the album's thing. so fucking good. It's a classic. For me, it will always be a early winter album, mm. and uh, that's because I got into it around Christmas, whenever that was. Like probably at this point, four or five years ago. Um, and like, it's to the point where like helicopter reminds me of driving in snow. Yeah. The little do 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 at the he would have yes, laughed yes, that last song. Yes, reminds yes. me of like snow falling yeah. and shit. So it's like it, that one is actually it's funny you should mention that because that is an album that more than most is embedded as a specific Date, time. winter album. Yeah. It, that it, it's actually insane to listen to that now because I remember I think I listened to that like the year it came out basically like 2010 or 2011. I don't think I did then. I waited and I was years. like, "This is really good." Yeah, and everyone's was like, you know, kind of instant classic or whatever. Mm-hmm. It definitely takes some time for that to crystallize and to listen to it in 2017, seven years removed. You're like, "Whoa, this this is this already just feels like essential listening part of the canon classic album, capital C classic." The vibe of that album is so cool. It's it insane, this, and, and and I don't think Deer Hunter have ever captured that same vibe again. It's it's lo-fi, and it's it's like lo-fi, but in a very eerie way. Yeah, like when you first told me, I think it was definitely you who told me what Helicopter is actually about. Oh my god! Like, yeah. the, what was it? Someone who was like a sex slave, yeah, jumping out of a helicopter yeah. to just like end his life. Yeah, that shit stuck with me. Oh yeah, That's, that's a, it's a dark album. Yeah, Do I, especially with that cover. With, like, that midget woman? Yeah, I think it's, like, someone from, I assume, a freak show or something. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it's a real person. You'll be really bad is if, like, it was just, like, a normal person. Like, what if, like, we're assuming it's this person from a freak show, to quote (laughs) me, and, in fact, it was just someone, like, it's, like, some scientist they admired. And it, it really, this is actually a reflection on us. It could be. Could be. No, I think I did actually listen to it, and it's, like, this freak. No, I'm like maybe not a freak, but um, yeah, I don't think it's a scientist or anything. But classic album, it's really, really good. It is, and I was reminded of that fact. Really quick, I want to touch on football briefly. Okay, just briefly. I almost lost all my betting money last weekend. By the way, it was oh, a wonky you? week. I, 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 I would have lost everything if it wasn't for that Lions uh, call. E- on the goal line. Oh, I if the Lions scored I there, I'm out, like, see, basically all my money. You're already back to, like, knowing more specifics yeah, about football. Yeah, true, true. That's why I did this. That's why I did this. There was yeah. a year there, or two even, where I basically stayed steady. I fell yeah. off a little bit. But there was a year or two there where I knew more about football you did, than you. Oh, 100%. Which yeah. was 
very much especially last year yeah very much not the case right. for our entire life it was right. always like I would I watched football I actually followed it <laughs> pretty closely and then when we became friends and like Matt and Logan and then that's when I started watching like right. the most but I never watched as much as you used to watch every single yeah. game right yeah, or yeah. as much yeah, as you yeah. possibly yeah. could fit yeah I wouldn't leave the couch on Sundays from 1 p.m. till like 11 p.m. whereas I didn't like schedule it I tr- I tried my best to watch the Patriots and I would definitely flip around and catch parts of other games yeah. but like if I had other shit it didn't bother me yep um I th- a more healthy you know way to to do it I think that's the balance to strike ultimately <laughs> yes, in life it is it but, is um I think we're like relatively equal now like because I, I did yeah. watch Monday Night Football yeah. Oh, I didn't. I mean, I don't blame you. The game, I, sorry, Monday Night Football sucks. It's terrible. Those are terrible games. I love the one o'clock slate of games. Yes, and like that's basically the the three. Like once it hits three o'clock, the witching hour yeah. between three and four, where games are just especially this past week. This past week was the best slate of one o'clock games we've seen in maybe like a year or two. How about Brady? Just again. It is so normal. It it wasn't even a surprise. I no. just expected him to do it. We've come to expect it. I can't even be impressed. Is it bad that what, what, so when the when the Texans went up five, they kicked a field goal to go up five? I was just like, I was basically like, they lose. That's exactly what I thought too. I was like, that's not enough. I was like, yeah, and and, and that makes it sound like I wasn't scared. I was. I actually thought the Pats were going to lose because yeah. I was like, the Texans are going to score here, right? And I was like, then we're going to basically just be done, right? And our pretty bad defense held defense up sucks, there. Yeah. You know what's good about this, Sean, though? And I was thinking about this. I know we've talked about it. Brady's going to put up stats this oh, year. He's going to put up numbers. He Jake, is. We mentioned this. And, and that's I, what's I, most important to me I at this told point. you. I was like, this is great for padding his career this stats. That's exactly right. He's going to be up there with the Brett Favre's and Peyton Mannings of the world for all-time Dude, touchdowns and yards, like completions. In the, in the past two weeks, he already threw another eight touchdowns. I know. It's amazing. He's fucking 40. Yeah. Think about how much. He already has some of the best numbers of all time. He's he, he's leading the league in passing yards and has won off at AFC off. Defensive player of the week two weeks in a row. Two weeks straight. And last week threw five <laughs> touchdowns. The week before threw for almost 500 yards. It's actually hilarious. It's it's amazing. Dude, it's like, it, it's so crazy how lucky we are uh, to, to be Patriots fans. Yeah. And what's funny is that, like, I realized, I remember texting you in, like, 2012. And I was like, dude, I, I was like, I've been taking Brady for granted for years. I was like, we're so lucky to have him. Dude, I shouldn't have been thinking We've that way. two Super Bowls. Since then, we have. You know what's interesting? Sometimes this is why we couldn't do a football podcast. We'd be too insufferable. Oh my god! Yeah, we we couldn't do it. And I don't think we know enough. Um, we don't care enough. We have too much like disdain for the NFL as a thing it, to be able to do it. Right. It, it is funnier than music. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. And if we looked at it from that perspective, I think it would actually be really entertaining. It's actually the reason I think the biggest reason we've actually had kept to the post show. As a thing, is that we are funnier during it than we are during. The oh movie. yeah, well, there's no music there's, is such pretentious, there's, talk. and there's less pressure on the pre-show too. Mm-hmm. So I, no, I, I agree with that. Um, one more thing <laughs> about football. Fuck, I forget what I was gonna say now. Like kneeling for the flag and shit. No, I didn't. I didn't want to get into that. I've had too many conversations about that oh, already. I've yeah, I like talked to my dad about it. Of all people, he's like, Kaepernick should have been fined and suspended the first time he did it, but no. They let him keep going. I was like, Dad, well... It's free speech, dude. Yeah, I was like, we, uh, like he... I was like, the reason why they didn't do that is because like there would have been such a like blowback to that. Well, also, and, he's and my, been blackballed from the league. That, too, which so, is like, shitty. That's just how it goes. In my whole argument, so, like, 
I appreciate and respect and like that there was mass protests this weekend yeah. or this past weekend. However, I think the original Kaepernick message of raising awareness for racial injustice, racial inequality was lost on it because basically I think people were just protesting what Trump said. That was the response to it. I think if you ask 95% of players or owners why they were doing it, it wouldn't be, oh, we're trying to raise awareness for racial inequality. No, and that's my big issue with this. It was because Trump, like, insulted the NFL. Right, right. And it's like, dude... I, Good, because fuck the NFL. But well, also, like, fuck Trump, so... But if you're being insulted by Trump, that's, I think, the surest way to know you're doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. Because is there anyone more morally fucking bankrupt than, than Donald Trump? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> like, no. Like, dude... No. I don't know, like, there's not. It's no. actually, dude, when I'm not upset at the fact he's president it's actually really fucking funny it's, fu- it's ridiculous right <laughs> it's it's like it's it, it's like something from a black comedy yeah or like like an, a like a bad apocalyptic yeah movie. no it's true it's true it's it, um, it is really sad yeah but what i wanted to say is like it, it it's odd to me <laughs> it's really weird to me like because i made the mistake obviously of looking on facebook at the what certain people oh, were writing God. yeah forget about it it is it, it continues to baffle me how unable and unwilling people are to separate the flag from what it represents. I know. And it's like, and people have this whole thing where, like, you don't disrespect the flag. It's like, dude, the fucking flag <laughs> has never done anything. It, it's a piece of fucking fabric. Yeah, it represents the American people. Mm-hmm. That's what, and like, so, like, what do you care more about? Right. This, the fucking stars and bars? <laughs> or the people? Like, of the country? Right. Actually, right. the answer's pretty clear. It's the fucking yeah, flag. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because yeah. people get all swept up in the imagery. And they're, like, dumb. They don't think critically for two seconds about what any of that means. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's... In, in, in the whole reason why Kaepernick is able to do that is because we're a free country. And they're like, you know... I love this country and I love this flag. It's like, well, wait a minute. Like, what? What are you actually saying? Are you saying you love the flag as a as an object, or are you saying you love what the flag represents and what the country represents? Because I think what you think you're saying is you love what it represents, but it doesn't seem that way. Because if you really thought for two seconds about what that meant, you'd be all on board with what Kaepernick and these other people are doing. And I think with some people, the, the truth is they, they love it as an object. Because I actually saw... This is, this is what I wanted to say. On my way driving here tonight, I was behind someone whose license plate was WVTH, like FLG, wave the flag. Oh and I, I was like, that's oddly apropos. Yeah. And I looked at for our like latest national discussion, and all their... Their bumper stickers were just flag related. It was like the ribbon shape with a flag. It was a flag. Like all these bumper stickers. I was wow. like, this is a person who is obsessed with the flag in the same way like I'm obsessed with the Beatles or something. Right. They right. like the flag in the same way I would like sort of gush about rubber soul. Right. Except, obviously, I'm going to say this because it's my own mind, but that has so much less substance. Oh, well, yeah. You can't put the yeah. flag on in here. Fucking no. Norwegian wood. And I think the other piece of this, too, is that people are just sort of racist. Yeah. Is the other thing. Without realizing it or being outwardly so. No, yeah, you can say you're not racist. There's a certain in, general... You can be like, oh, no, I'm not a racist, in, but you are, you yeah. know? And, and the way I know that is because 
it's even embedded in me. Like, we, I, oh yeah, one hundred percent. Our generation, 100%, our yeah. generation is pretty unracist. Like, right. we've got it cut down. I'd say to like ten percent. Yeah. But there's these little nagging thoughts where sometimes I'll hear myself. And I'm like, dude, like, and, what's that you just thought? And, that was racist. In uh, in in one of the Malcolm Gladwell books I read, I think it was the one you gave me. Yeah. For for Christmas. Um, Not a big deal, listeners. Which I'm blanking on the name on for um, some reason. Was it right the David now. and Goliath one? No, Blink. Blink. It was Blink, and it was about how your subconscious makes decisions for you, and basically like the blink of an eye before your your consciousness realizes it. They did a test of, um, it was like a racial test where they basically like said associate good words with white people and then associate bad words with black people. And it was super easy. People could do it in a split second. Yeah. Then it flipped it. It said associate bad words with white people and good words with black people. And Gladwell took this test. And, he, and Gladwell is, is part Jamaican. Which when and, I found out... Shocked. Uh, yeah. Shocked. Yeah, his, his mother's black. Yeah. And he was like... Like as, Jamaican, right? Or something like that? He, Jamaican, yeah. Or Haitian? He, it's Jamaican, yeah. And, and he was like, as someone who like is a minority, he's like, even I had trouble separating the two. I had to stop and think to be like, oh, no, 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 no. It's black person, good word. And it's white person, bad word. And the, the reactions, the, the how long it took to choose was like double or sometimes triple the time of what it was to do the opposite. That's crazy. So, and, and it's just, it's such, it's embedded in you subconsciously. You can't even help it. That's really wild. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, football's back. The other thing I wanted to quickly bring up is I started watching The Deuce oh, on is it HBO. Good? It is so fucking good. Really? I watched the pilot episode. It's The Wire, but 1972 Times Square, New York City with like pimps and prostitutes. It is so goddamn good. They immediately craft this rich, <laughs> complex world in the pilot. You, if you forget, it's even the first episode by the time you're halfway through. Wow. It's that well-written. Okay. And that well-established. James Franco is in it. You have basically like half the cast of The Wire in it already. Oh, dude. Uh, you have uh, Cheese. Cheese is in it as one of the, the pimps. Cheese. You have Chris Partlow as one of the oh, pimps. Oh, okay. You have D'Angelo Barksdale as one of the cops in there. It, it, this show is so fucking good. I can't wait to go and watch more. How many episodes in are you? One. I only watched the pilot. How many are out? Three. Fourth one is airing this Sunday. Get in on the deuce, guys. I got it. The deuce is loose. The <laughs> The deuce is loose. Are you going to get back into your 10 minutes or less episode updates? Uh, not, you know, this is another offline conversation that, that we should have about the the podcast and the podcast network. And, how we're and some thoughts it? I have about just what else I would like to do with it okay. uh, in regards to some of the other conversations we've had. I'd love to talk about this show in terms of, you know, on, on a podcast or something. I'd love to talk about a lot of shows on the podcast. Yeah. Um, it's just going to be a matter of time and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I think yeah. if we could pull something so, off. So, yeah, but uh, for anybody who's interested, who any, anybody who likes The Wire or is interested in two of the best TV writers going with David Simon and... Uh, uh, I forget the other guy's name, but uh, they both worked on The Wire. For which show? The Deuce on on the oh, Deuce. Oh, 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 they, okay. Simon and uh, Garfunkel. Fuck, I, I forget. I forget the other guy's it's name. It's Garfunkel. Yeah. Uh, check this show out. It's really really good. 
Um, I, I I will because I, I wasn't sure if I was interested based on like the the trailer or or whatever. Oh, it's you'll be hooked. Maggie Gyllenhaal's in it as well. Yeah, right. Franco plays a, a twin. He plays both roles, which is interesting. Which can be gimmicky, but they pull it off really well. Really quick, what did you think of Jake Gyllenhaal and Simmons? Mm. We'll go fast. Wanted to bring that up too. Came across really really well. Thought it was really good. Uh, Simmons is very lazy with these actor podcasts, though. He just runs through their IMDb. I okay, so I wanted to say I think that that format actually kind of works despite its laziness. I think it's interesting to go through the career because otherwise, it's... oh okay, uh, Devil's Advocate. I, I thought it was fine. I agree, and it made for a good podcast. And Jake Gyllenhaal seems like a great guy, kind of down to earth guy. I really liked him. Simmons just he'll run through the IMDb and he'll just go, he'll just yell out the name of the movie. He'll be like. Prisoners, and then Joan Hall's like, "What? What? Like, what about it? Yeah, what about prisoners? And like, it's clear. Like, Simon doesn't have. He didn't prepare. He doesn't have a lot to say. You know, he, that's one you can only watch once. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? I thought that movie was really good. It's awesome. It's a great movie. I realized through that podcast, I've seen more Jake Gyllenhaal movies than I thought. I had the same exact thought. I went through his IMDb. I like, I've, I've seen f- like ten Gyllenhaal movies. And in, you know what's funny is that in my mind, I'm I'm like. I'm always like, I gotta watch more of that dude. I always like him. Yeah. And I'm always like, I haven't seen that many Gyllenhaal movies. Yeah. I've seen kind of a lot. Here's a question for you Who's the more famous Gyllenhaal? Maggie or Jake? Yeah. It's Jake, for I, sure. I think it used to be Maggie. I think it's What become, was her big role? Being in Dark Knight? I think when she was in the Dark Knight, I think that is where she sort of crested. Yeah. I mean, I don't know her career that well, but I think she was probably more famous then than he was. I don't know, because that was. Uh, he had already been in Donnie Darko, gotten his big break. He'd been in Jarhead. He had yeah, been that's in. That's true. Maybe it's just Jake. I think it is. I, he's like a one of the dudes in Hollywood. It's yeah. like if you're if you're talking about like the five biggest actors in Hollywood, you'd be like DiCaprio, Damon, Gyllenhaal. You think Gyllenhaal's in the top five conversation? McConaughey and like Brad Pitt, maybe. Matt Damon. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. You think Matt, Matt, Damon. Matt Damon's Absolutely. more fa- you th- Do you think he's more famous than Joan Hall? I think he is. I think Joan yeah. Hall's top ten. I don't know about five. Who else is in the top ten then? I don't know. Like, would you Clooney? Go, do you think Joan Hall or Christian Bale is more famous? Uh see, that's tough because Christian Bale takes these roles that are like they're almost the opposite roles. Yeah. of what Joan Hall takes. To be honest, I think Jake Gyllenhaal dated Taylor Swift. I think he's got more of a public... Did he date Taylor Swift? Yeah, he did for a little bit, yeah. yeah. How yeah. much older is he than Taylor Swift? He's 36, she's like 28. Okay. Right? That's not that bad. It's not terrible. I think I just briefly had it in my mind for a second she's younger than us, which is not true. She's like three years older than yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Who, who else is in that conversation right now in Hollywood? It's a, it's a fair question. I don't know why. I always because think... Gosling, Gosling's, Gosling's in that top ten. Yep. Because you could point to somebody. Wahlberg. Is... Wahlberg, you're right, has to be right now. But I, I don't know. You like I think Gyllenhaal has more cachet than Wahlberg. What you're speaking to in some ways is is also critical cachet and like yeah. the better actor. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg is one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood. If not you're right, the you're most right. bankable. Yeah. Right now. I, you're right. He's in right the fucking now, Transformers movies. Right, and like the fucking Ted movies. Yeah. And it, honestly, right now, Wahlberg, dollar for dollar, is probably yeah, I'm, the, the biggest. Yeah. Because um, you could point to somebody like a Clooney, 
What movie has Clooney been in that's been big in the last five years? No, Clooney was... <laughs> Clooney was in that discussion like, like 10, 15 years ago. Right, right. Where he was like the right, biggest dude. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of others. Yeah, I mean, Hall's in that conversation, yeah, I guess. He has I, to be. You know what's weird, though, is like, I, I don't know why. I always have this perception he's not, but the more you. He, he is. And it, it took me going me. back to look at the IMDb page to be like, whoa, he's been in a big movie every two years, basically. Yeah. That's more you can say about, like, even Leo or, or somebody yeah. like that. You definitely convinced me. And, and it's like Simmons said, he's a. He's clearly a hard worker. He's, oh, he's getting work all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I, absolutely. Yeah, he he's uh, he's he's given Jake a good name. So I think what we learned in this after show pre show is there's a demand at least from us to talk about some of these things. Yeah, I think. Yeah, maybe maybe in a shorter format than what yeah, we do maybe, with music. Maybe start, like a quick half hour. We start doing but, a half hour, um, and maybe we could try to do it the same night. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Because we have a lot of conversation even just before we start the pre-show. Because there's no need to spread it out. Or yeah. Whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's... We'll figure this out. Should we close this some for, to reduce wind noise? You think it's that bad? I, I don't know. Like the trees rustling about. I don't know if it's that bad. I, I, I think we'll be okay. All right. I think we'll be okay. I, if anything, it's a nice ambient noise. Uh, yeah. It's a nice like fall night. That's with a, the listeners. That's a long pre-show, listeners. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Let us know if you'd like to see uh, some like pop culture talk. Yeah. Because we, we, like, like we do Thrones. We do you know this sort of thing where we'll bring it up. I think it'd be interesting to, to, I, to have these conversations in a more formal format. I have a quick funny story about Jake Gyllenhaal that I think is ridiculous. And we're going to talk about him more in we are. Mount Rushmore. Mount so. Rushmore of Jake's. Um, my grandmother, not Mimi, the other grandmother, once told me that I look like Jake Gyllenhaal. And I was like, you just think that because that's our name. <clears throat> we both have the same name. I was like, I don't... Jake Gyllenhaal is a much better looking guy than I am. I don't think I look anything like him. I mean, you're a good looking guy. Get out of here. You're a good looking guy in I, a different way than Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't really think I resemble him at yeah, all. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Tiny bit. Just the Tiny name. Tiny bit. The name helps. It does, right? The name's like 75% That's exactly of the it. little bit. Yeah. But Jake Gyllenhaal's a good looking dude. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's a great beard. He's yeah, one of these yeah, guys. Yeah. He's in the McCartney Club, Paul McCartney Club yeah. of like looks almost baby faced and then has a fucking amazing beard. Yeah. True. You know what I mean? Like he always he looks boyish almost. Paul McCartney still looks baby faced. He does. Like he and always he's fucking has. Eighty. And he has this great black beard. Yeah. And then Joan Hall, I always thought looks very young. He does. But he has like a really full beard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Hmm. I agree. Okay. So fun fact. Uh, we we ready to dive in here? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a long pre-show. That was like twenty minutes. Probably. Yeah. 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 All right. Here we go. <laughs> Hold on one second. Let me just get 1991 albums so okay. I don't have to type it. Okay. We're getting close to a really important year. Our birth date. That's a big. That's not actually, a great year for music, by the way. No, but in the history of this podcast, the most important year of all time. Technically, because yes. If it never happened, this podcast yes. would never happen. Technically, yes. So 91, on the other hand, is holy shit. Wait till you hear some of these. Okay. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I know. I know. We get ten and never mind and ten. Yeah, ten's not even in this first little part of the list I'm looking at. There it is. I'll definitely. Wow, I'll, I'll mention it. Okay, ready? Yep. Three, two, one. 